Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, well, if you've got pets listening to, they're welcome. Just turn <laughs> up the volume in case they start tilting their heads. This is the DC Comics News Podcast number 44. How do I know? Kelly just giggled. Who's Kelly? <laughs> well, if you've been paying attention, Kelly's a regular contributor along with Brad, who are both joining me today. Hello. Brad, I'm going to start with you since we're doing the alphabetics. Would you mind saying hello and how you doing? Hey, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I, we're going to have a great show. Kelly, would you mind saying hello and how you doing? Hello and how are you doing? <laughs> See? This I mean, is... oh wait, and I'm doing well also, if that was a question directed at me. <laughs> well, it was an opportunity to take advantage of your best sort of, you know, comedic moment. And one of the best things that's, you know, sort of echoed within comedic groups is you know say good night good night you know and you just sort of get this big chuckle of this idea you know the old milton burl stand-up routine and thank you both for playing along i am your host seth singleton how you doing <laughs> and i'm happy to be part of a great conversation catching back up i've been out of town on hiatus it's sort of undisclosed but if you contact the fbi to close some documents and some blood they might tell you where i've been otherwise <laughs> the secret is something you'll have to pry from we'll get to those details later we are going to move into a great collection of our assortment of news whether it's movie streaming television or that great source material comics and to kick things off, we've got two great announcements folded into one great story, which has to do with Wonder Woman 1984, something I still want to see a trailer for. And only those of you who were at Comic-Con last year got a chance to even got a peek at. But the details are still keeping me enticed, interested and not quite too bitter about that. Two of them, including one, the announcement that Maxwell Lord will be in wonder woman 1984 but also that there's going to be a trailer when 1984 wonder woman makes an appearance december 8th at the brazil comic-con experience that's where you get to see wonder woman's first official trailer featuring maxwell lord two big events uh two big announcements brad starting off with you what's your biggest takes well, I'm kind of happy to see uh, Maxwell Lord come aboard. Uh, I've always, I always was a, a big fan of Keith Geffen's run on Justice League and Justice League International, and I believe that that is where the Max Lord character was introduced. Uh, and not only that, but he does have a history with Wonder Woman thanks to the uh, the events of uh, Infinite Crisis. So I think that there's a uh, he's going to be a fun character and he can be a villain or he can be a, a good guy. So it's kind of interesting to see what they could possibly do with the character. And as far as the trailer, man, I can't wait. I think, uh, I think we're due some footage. It's about time. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm psyched. I'll be hitting YouTube a lot that day to make sure I can see it when it's finally <laughs> released. That's for sure. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? I am really excited about the trailer. I think I feel like it, it. Wonder Woman's almost kind of gotten lost in the in the shuffle recently with all the buzz about the Joker and the Birds of Prey were so so big at New York Comic Con. So I mean, I of course I could never forget about Wonder Woman, but there was a part of me that was like, huh, we really haven't seen anything besides the cool posters. 
Um, so I'm really excited to see the the trailer that's going to come out. And, you know, the fact that it's this crazy 80s version of Wonder Woman that's not the Wonder Woman we saw in the last movie, but also is. It's I whatever they do, it's Patty Jenkins. So I trust her. Um, and as far as Maxwell Lord being a character, I feel like that fits the 80s so well for him to be kind of this uh, like the the con man type character, if that is who he ends up actually being in the movie. Um, I feel like that was such a, a big shift kind of in comics in the 80s that it was really, you know, not so much the patriotic fighting for the country villains, but these like internal big business or, you know, underground crime kind of kind of villains. So I, I'm excited. I think it'll be really good. Seth? Loving the stuff you guys are bringing up takes me back to reading all those great stories I'm going to try and hit some of these bullet point by bullet point because they're so important. I don't want to try and overlap, but if I miss anything you guys said, please don't hesitate to uh, catch me on that. Brad, for starters, yeah, I was just glancing over the uh, initial article, and it was in that Justice League run where we first saw that appearance of Maxwell Lord. He was created by Keith Giffen and uh, J.M. DeMatteis. So, you're on the spot with that one, definitely. Oh, and, and also Kevin McGuire was part of that group. So you're definitely spot on. And and just to sort of like tie into that, Kelly, yes, I agree. I loved Maxwell Lord because of what he did in embodying that sort of Michael Douglas, Wall Street, greed is good concept, which was something that was also um, almost hand in hand with the darker vigilante tone that seemed to really encompass a lot of the comics in the eighties. So almost hand in hand with that was this sort of recognition that villainy didn't have to be so brazen in its ha ha. I've stood atop the tallest building with my suit of whatever and made my proclamation to take over the world. It was this more insidious concept that almost felt like a corporate virus, this thing that just sort of snuck in without you knowing it and then had control before you had a chance to do anything. Um, following up on the trailer, I'm just finally glad that we'll get a chance to see it because, yes, Brad, like you, I will be hitting YouTube. I'm pretty sure all the social media accounts will be pinging with click here to, you know, to see the first official trailer or first glance at the official trailer live, fresh from, you know, straight from Brazil, untranslate, whatever it might be, that that's going to be the thing we're all going to be jumping at. And then lastly, this, you know, this history that we've got, you know, Maxwell Lord and Wonder Woman, you know, for one thing, they never saw eye to eye in the, you know, earliest parts of their relationship but what came to be as we were entering into uh, the infinite crisis storyline and a lot of the things leading up to that wonder woman's actions what they did to maxwell lord and how for any fan going into it there's got to be this underlying tension of that right even just sort of a knowledge and for any fan who doesn't just the chance to sort of see what happens when a forthright upstanding character like wonder woman is contrasted against somebody who is either amoral or immoral, depending on your depiction of him. I mean, Maxwell Lord, he does things for his own reasons. Sometimes it seems like he's just being a jerk, and other times it seems like he's just an uncaring jerk. And <laughs> I feel like overall, what, what a beautiful combination. So, you know, 
one, thanks for bringing up all these great things that I get to follow up on and sound really smart when I repeat them back. Um, but also because you also reminded me of so many of these great elements that when I heard them described by somebody else, I just thought, yep, way to hit the nail right in the head. Because emotionally, that's my, you know, instinctual response too. what a great pairing. What a perfect representation. And then lastly, you know, Kelly, I think you raised a really interesting point that's going to be a curiosity and something the film will have to do a great job of addressing, which is how is this a different Wonder Woman and yet the same Wonder Woman from the Wonder Woman that we saw in Justice League and Batman versus Superman, but yet is not the same Wonder Woman, you know, that we saw in Wonder Woman? How are we going <laughs> to how are we going to explain that? Because I, I would like an explanation. Um any other follow-up thoughts before we, you know, shift ahead, which, you know, seems to be the, the trend when we've got so many stories coming out? No, no, just okay. ready for Wonder Woman. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, on the way to Wonder Woman, we've also got an announcement um, that it looks like Aquaman 2 is going to be <clears throat> way bigger. I'm quoting, way bigger. Now, I could dive into what that means, but there's a lot that's sort of suggested here, and I want to get some thoughts really quickly from Brad and Kelly about what their takeaways were first. Brad, way bigger, Aquaman 2. What was your sort of digestion of this article? Uh, I would say that's going to have to be pretty big because Aquaman <laughs> 1 was huge. I mean, there was a lot of spectacle and over the top and that, you know, that's kind of what made that movie so good in a way it really worked. And if they're going to go even bigger than what they had in that first one, then I, I think that it's going to do just as well. I mean, I think that was my main takeaway that that in fact that I, I you know, that's what they always say and that's what they have to do uh, for sequels. So <laughs> they do say that a lot. <laughs> so I, and I don't, I don't doubt it. And I, I like the fact that, uh, these ideas, some of these ideas were coming from Jason Momoa himself because, you know, he said that he took some ideas to to the filmmakers and they loved it. So that's kind of it's kind of interesting as well. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? I think I've said this before, but I love it when the actors portraying a character are really into that character. And Jason Momoa seems to just love being Aquaman. So, you know, like we were saying that with the fact that he actually brought some ideas to the filmmakers and said, hey, look, this is what I think we should do. This is what, you know, as the person who's going to be getting into the mind of this character, this is the type of story that we should tell is really, really cool. And I like the fact that he, uh, you know, he seems to be coming at this with enthusiasm, despite all of the, you know, the kind of fallout from that that initial Justice League movie. Um, and then on top of that, I know that it, back before the first Aquaman came out, there was, you know, a, a little bit of, I don't know if it was gossip or for sure confirmed quotes from him going around kind of saying that there were parts of the script that he didn't really like or he thought was a little bit corny. So he really wanted to push to make sure that this Aquaman is is better and is closer to the Aquaman that he wants to actually uh, portray. So I, I mean, if Jason Momoa says it's going to be bigger, I will believe him on that. I mean... He's Jason Momoa. How can you not, <laughs> Seth? <laughs> well, yes, I, I I love it when 
the challenge is sort of laid out there, as Brad suggested. You know, you almost have to say it's going to be bigger than the last one. Otherwise, why are we coming back for a sequel? Like, yeah, it'll be just as good, kind of. No, that's not going to bring us back. Um, but what will bring us back is this raising of the stakes where we're going to go bigger. We're going to do more. And I was intrigued that in the article that's referenced, it, it points out that suggested topics included things like, well, a showdown between Aquaman and Black Mana, or maybe with Ocean Master. And in both responses, he said, there's a lot. There's just way bigger. We just need more. So there's already a desire to sort of recognize how much was accomplished in the first film, which I actually finally got around to seeing a few weeks ago and um, and can appreciate now having seen it and agreeing with you, Brad. Yeah, they did take on a lot of great challenges. They did go pretty big for a first movie. So how can they go bigger? I'm thinking, you know, let's see more of these old gods that have recently been popping up in the storyline. Or maybe let's see him push to that point where we have to wonder if he's going to show up with a hook in the third movie or or something else where we're really challenging some of these ideas. Or maybe we get something like, you know, uh, what was it? The recent Drown storyline. Maybe we're pushing into something on that sort of a scale. However big we choose to go, I love it when that that. That gauntlet is is thrown out there, and it's done so by the actor, which uh, I want to sort of use to dive into what you guys were both saying, this idea of him taking on the initiative and embracing the character without calling anyone out specifically. There's been one or two actors in the DC cinematic universe who have mentioned that one of their biggest things they've liked is the paycheck they get and less about what it means to be that character on screen and that can always create sort of this disassociation for fans and the relationship with those actors portraying these characters. But it's really different when you've got an actor saying, no, 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 no. I think about this man. Like I have these ideas late at night or in the shower and I stop and write them down. And then I've got a list I want to bring to you because this is what I think we're capable of. And when you see an actor make that investment and sort of show, I think as Kelly so perfectly described it, how much he loves playing and being Aquaman. <laughs> There's that recognition that you've got somebody who's taken this sort of internal understanding in the story and made it part of their whole process for how they interpret the character and also what they want to do beyond what they've already done. And seeing that that desire, that that's something that makes me think, yeah, man, if you're this passionate, why can I be any less passionate about going to see this this great thing you're going to show me? Now, I am intrigued as to how much we might get hints of when it comes to A, the trench, and B, I love that this story made a, a little bit of a nod to the fact that uh, there's going to be a lot of action going on in the Momoa Kravitz house, as they put it, with that announcement recently that Zoe Kravitz will be joining the DC family as Catwoman in the upcoming Matt Reeves, uh, The Batman, which is a perfect moment to mention what I thought Kelly brought up so great a little while back, which was this announcement that they wanted a Zoe Kravitz-like actor in order to be in the movie, but they didn't actually say they were going to get her, and yet it turns out they actually just went ahead and got her. Kelly, did you have anything you wanted to chime in about that before we shift gears? Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm thrilled that it's Zoe Kravitz, and I feel like when we first saw that article, I was just kind of like, that is a weird thing to say. It's just, it didn't 
sound right because it's like what do you mean a zoe kravitz actor so do you mean you're gonna get zoe kravitz or do you mean <laughs> like you want a, it like it just it was confusing and a little bit like this could it just didn't sound right but now that we know it's zoe kravitz it's like oh okay so it was the world's least subtle hint is what that really was <laughs> so i'm 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 thrilled and I also would just love to say that having dinner at the Momoa Kravitz household sounds like it'd be the craziest thing in the world. And if any of them ever listen to that, I feel like I just want to be a part of that someday because I love both Zoe Kravitz <laughs> and Jason Momoa and Lisa Bonet. And yes. And he loves one. throwing axes. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I hate to say it, but like, even I don't hate to say it, even Lenny Kravitz. I mean, come on. He is like a great guitarist that's just the best family reunion or the most awkward family reunion in the world <laughs> brad how about you any any lingering or remaining thoughts on you know zoe kravitz and this uh dinner table conversation we all desperately want to be a part of i think she's going to uh i think she's going to make a great Catwoman. i think it's great casting and i'm glad they could just go to the source and not have to get a type, but actually get her. Um, I, I think she's going to be uh, a great Catwoman. Uh, it may, you know, we might not get Joe uh, Jonah Hill, but we'll get uh, Zoe Kravitz. So I think we're going to end up uh, winning that one. <laughs> I just got I, a mental image of Jonah Hill as Catwoman. <laughs> <laughs> It's 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 a fun image. <laughs> I did too, and it bothers me that I didn't hate it. I, I didn't hate right? it. Yeah, I was kind of like, wow, we could really you do, do you, something. Jonah Hill. Right, Jonah, you know what? You be the best Catwoman you feel inside you, and just let that Catwoman out. Baby. Just let her. Just let that Catwoman meow. Just yeah, yeah. But do it like Eartha Kitt, just once, just once for me, for me. Just Jonah Hill. Eartha Kitt, Catwoman, I'm out. All right. Uh, <laughs> if you're confused, leave us a comment. We'll, we'll, we'll tell you how at the end, but sometimes we know that we're going off somewhere and we're okay with it. And, you know, just let us know if you're okay with it, too. We, we're not trying to scare you here. However, if you are looking for something both scary, both tantalizing, and in so many ways for me, wondrous, there's still time to get your ticket, if you haven't, for the highest grossing R-rated movie of all time. It's the movie that I kind of suggested we might be talking about for the next two years, and now I realize my assessment was wrong. We might be talking about this movie for the next five years on this podcast. I'm referring, of course, to The Joker, which as of Friday had reached a new record and globally had grossed $788.1 million, making it the highest grossing R-rated film of all time and surpassing the previous record holder, Deadpool, which had held that title at $783 million. Now, there's all sorts of fun numbers, $258.6 million in North America, $529.5 million from various foreign box office. Uh, how much of that really matters and who's walking away with the most money i'm not sure that really becomes a big part of the conversation but when you're looking at the highest grossing r-rated movie and the fact that it's a joker and b if you didn't get your ticket they still did it without you 
there's a lot going on, and even apparently Mr. Ryan Reynolds of at Van City Reynolds made a comment to recognize this amazing achievement, one that he recently achieved only a few years ago. Brad, I'm going to turn this over to you first. Um, I I know we all talked beforehand that we've all had a chance to see it. You know, what's your take just based on what you saw of the movie and this announcement and how the two might inform your response? There's just these films that come out and they just turn into these cultural touchstones. And this is one of them. And I think that uh, The Dark Knight was also one of those moments and it's funny that uh you know they both involved the joker uh i i think that this movie just kind of looked a perfect storm it has good word of mouth uh fans of the of the character and the comics are liking what they see and it's just and it's making people curious there's a lot of talking and and it's very timely it's just it just has struck a chord with uh, with where we are uh in the country and in the world. It's just one of those things. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? Actually, I think that I'm, apart from the fact that I'm such a DC person, I'm so proud that Joker beat Deadpool. <laughs> Nothing against Ryan Reynolds or Deadpool, but I feel like we see so much hate towards, uh, you know, superhero and comic book movies lately. There's a lot of, you know, people kind of coming out of the woodwork saying, oh, we're sick of this. It's a stupid genre. It doesn't make sense. It's for uh, adult babies or I mean, typically I see the phrase man child, but I'm like, well, I was never a man child. So <laughs> that doesn't fit. But, <laughs> it's, you know, it's I, I like that the Joker took a concept from comic books and made it really realistic and made it something that really connects both on the level that it's terrifying and uncomfortable but on a really human level and it makes it I think I think it makes it more understandable to someone going in to see the movie who has never really been interested in comics to say wow this is you know this is what comics can do this is the type of character that can be created and the type of emotion that can come across and I mean I have you know friends and coworkers who have never read a comic book in their life who are like you know how much do I need to know about the Joker to see this movie because I want to see it and I'm like literally you know he's a Batman villain that's all you need to know like in it's it's that good of a movie terrifying super disturbing but I I enjoyed it thoroughly Seth what do you think yeah I'm gonna say right off the bat that I love what Brad was saying about the idea of a film being iconic, being able to recognize all the different things it has an opportunity to discuss and talk about that are so prevalent in the here and now to do it so well. And then Kelly, as you said, in doing so to rise above the genre, to become something that while a great example of what the capabilities of the genre are, to also show that it doesn't have to be just included in the genre to be recognized for its greatness and that it's rec- and that that recognition of its greatness can be done without the inclusion of any of the other elements of genre that come with it whether it's the the tropes that are either tied to cast of characters or other elements that it can tell this really amazing really important story without requiring the reader to have a a backlog, a history, a set of information going in. Right from the introduction, this was a movie that showed you a character, immediately presented the challenges facing him, and then through that showed just what it takes over a very short period of time 
for a significant series of events to have a life-changing impact. And what really stuck for me was the way that, I mean, in so many ways, this movie seems to happen over a period of like 72 hours. I know it's, and it is actually like on a calendar chronologically longer than that, but so much of it felt like it was able to achieve just huge strides with just the right amount of timing and sequence of events so that so quickly one night without giving away too many details from the movie one night one set of actions in response to fear and other sort of raging emotions and then this sort of spiral that can you know be driven out of that and then take on this tornado-like force by the end Whew. it's amazing to see how so many people from so many different walks have been able to embrace this movie and to give it the recognition that really in some ways only the amount of tickets sold or the international recognition can help sort of solidify but this idea that also in doing so there there wasn't this new animosity created between the big two but also instead you had this great moment where the guy who championed deadpool and actually made it happen is going hey you know what glad i was able to have the chance to experience it clearly you guys have done your work and this is a great project that surpassed us here's to the next great you know challenge or whatever's coming next and that recognition that's hopefully going to continue to foster this understanding that there's not just one type of movie. And if you're trying to just make comments that have been recently in the headlines about what people think about those movies or what those movies mean for cinema is only taking one approach. And if you look at a movie like Joker, it's clear to see that's a really narrow approach and that the possibilities just like this movie are actually, well, far greater than we've actually been shown and also something that we can look forward to seeing more and different examples of that kind of lift them out of just a, this is a genre movie. No, this is a great character movie. This is a great story. Um, and Brad, love the fact that you point out they both happen to do with the Joker, just like the Dark Knight. This is one of those movies that's seminal because of this great character representation of a, uh, really compelling you know character like the joker who with all the stuff we saw in this movie is going to be different in the eyes of anyone who has or hasn't read a comic book before i think i kind of ranted for a second i think i need to go ahead and just recognize that and also say <laughs> no. after everything i just said anyone else uh <laughs> want to add in here about the joker before we, we shift gears into our next set of uh news topics no Go, yeah, go see it. it. <laughs> yeah. Solid. Well, you know, like I said, whenever I'm echoing you guys, I sound so smart. So, you know, <laughs> if I let you talk a lot, it's not selfish for any reason. <laughs> news about movies is one thing, but TV and streaming news can sometimes have just as much, if not equal, impact. And depending on the uh, the viewer, maybe even greater and TV and streaming for DC has been really impressive lately, not only with product and quality, but approach to great characters. 
one of which is the uh, the recent Watchmen series on HBO and following its premiere, an updated trailer showing things we can look forward to for the rest of the season was recently released. I had a chance to see it, but you don't tune into this just to hear what I have to say. So we're going to start with Brad and Kelly. And like I said, I'm going to echo their brilliant thoughts and I'm going to sound pretty smart by the end of it because they're ahead of me. It's how it works. Brad. What's your take, my friend? Oh, man. I, you know, I'm a huge, huge fan of the source material. So anything that kind of harkens back to those characters, I love to see. Uh, so those little uh, Dr. Manhattan hints. And I loved Hooded Justice busting through the window. Uh, you know, this this season has set up a pretty interesting mystery and all these scenes, uh, even though it gives me more questions than answers it it makes me super excited to see what is you know what we're in store for in these next few episodes uh you know over the next few weeks uh kelly what do you think i actually just recently got to watch the premiere and it was so different than i was expecting but in a really fantastic way because i like i i'm i'm hooked i'm interested and then with this trailer uh you know even more so i'm i'm very interested to see what direction the rest of this season and the rest of the show goes in. And actually, I just really, really enjoyed the line um, where where the man says, I'm 105 and you curse too much because it's I used to work in a senior home and I feel like I've heard that exact thing said to me before, <laughs> hopefully in a different situation. <laughs> but I everything about this show so far is, you know, very, very high quality in terms of the filming, the acting um, you know, and I, I wish it absolutely all of the best. Seth? I, one, am really looking forward to tuning in for the first episode. While I was in uh, locations undisclosed, I was unable to get the chance to see the first episode, but it's on my list of things I'm catching up on for this weekend, whether it's today or tomorrow. And Everything that I tried to avoid about spoilers was very helpful. I, I did catch just the idea that it sounds like it's a very different introduction. And even without that, the mysteries that are suggested in this trailer alone are so are so perfectly lined up for me as an enticement and a follow-up to things that were hinted at in some of the early trailers. And now a little bit more is being revealed, but just enough to make me say, okay, I'm looking forward to catching that first episode and seeing what all these mysteries end up being. It didn't give away anything too much for me that I felt like I didn't already have a, a sense of just from the initial trailers. And also that the response that I'm getting, this idea of how different it is, really encourages me to experience that first episode. And then having done so, rewatch this trailer and have a better sense of you know what I can look forward to and what some of these mysteries might be that they're alluding to. Brad, I love what you mentioned about the Dr. Manhattan. Every time they make that reference in the trailer, every time I see that sort of paper mache model doll and the masks and things like that, it, it makes me in, in an interesting way sort of reflect on that mask idea that really seemed to come out of the joke. I don't know why, it's really intriguing for me. And those hints that like the uh, the uh, the Owl Man flying ship, I think it's the Owl ship. My my brain's not 
able to process what the exact name is at the moment. But those little hints that the source material is gradually sort of creeping back into the present day and that we'll get more of that just as we're getting these teases from Ozymandias. Uh, and Kelly, yes, I do love when uh, when the older guy says that, that great comment about I'm 105 years old and you curse too much. There's this <laughs> sort of recognition of like, I might be 105 years old, but you don't scare me. And when it comes to speaking my mind, trust me, I'm not going to hold back. By the way, as a note, you curse too much. Anything, you know, what I mean? <laughs> like there's this great sort of I, I love there's a tone in here where it kind of reminds me of sometimes different movies where it's like, hey, man, everybody's got to be tough if you're trying to get through this type of work. And that a lot of these characters are going to have to be a bit gruff, a bit tough. And then there's going to be a reason behind it, and it's going to inform that story just that much more. Um, but overall, even without seeing that first one, the trailer really set me up to look forward to so much more that I can kind of think about after I've seen that first episode. I am intrigued by the fact that I did get the chance to see the first episode of Batwoman. And that was something that informed my sort of thinking when it came to this other streaming TV story, which is the announcement that the CW is ordering nine more Batwoman episodes for season one. Brad, what was your take on this announcement? Have you seen the show or just uh, on a surface level? What's your take on this announcement? I, I, I've seen the first episode uh, and I, I was glad to see that it got picked up. Uh, this was kind of similar in Joker to, in, in the sense that it had a very positive buzz going into it. So I'm glad to see that that kind of has paid off uh, so it can get renewed for a you know full season, um, which means hopefully we'll get a second season. Um, and with Arrow's departure, we're going to need a little something to fill a bit of that darker vacuum that maybe Supergirl and the Flash couldn't. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to see it's sticking around. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, I actually I haven't gotten the chance to see um, the first episode yet, so I'm still excited about that. I've been hearing mixed kind of, I would say mixed reviews about it from people who have seen it. But in any case, I really enjoy Batwoman, and the fact that they did add on more episodes gives me hope that this, you know, this show has legs to it. So yeah, I I'm happy that they're going to get a chance to you know tell more of her story and see if we can really develop this into something that'll last as long as you know a, a show like the flash or green arrow has uh seth what do you think i'm gonna agree with your comment about the legs and leave it at that so that i don't get struck by a vicious roundhouse from batwoman because <laughs> she's great at kicking um but i agree that the show can clearly stand on its own and that one um, supports your your statement strong legs and also too after having seen the first episode i can see why there's going to be some mixed reviews and also i believe that's going to be an an ongoing discussion throughout a first season i feel like almost any show its first season especially when it has source material to live up to it, it has a lot of proving ground but it has to prove different things to different segments of the audience clearly though uh, just based on some of the information coming out about the show, um, 
a 73% growth among the 18 to 34 demographic and 80% the 18 to 49. Now, I'm not that smart. So I'm happy to say that I don't fully appreciate all of what that means. But one, it sounds like good things. And two, it sounds like good things across a, a pretty impressive scope here. We've got almost 30 years that of an age bracket that this show has been able to pick up an audience from, if I'm interpreting this information correctly. So it sounds like it's achieving a lot of what it needs to in order to have that audience stay with them through this first season as brad pointed out hopefully into the second but i also remember as soon as you said that that when i finally started catching up on arrow how those were some issues that i saw in that first season maybe even the first two seasons with arrow and it was something that i recognized as being part of the growing pains process you can't know what an audience is going to like or not like until you introduce it and then see how it works Sometimes you can't even tell until you've seen it and then had an episode or two since, and then you can view it in that context, especially when you're in that big, important, you know, producer, director role. So I'm comfortable with those sort of mixed responses in the, you know, early stages and maybe even through this first season. But I am impressed, as Brad pointed out, and encouraged also uh, to sort of echo his thoughts that this nine more episodes does point to support and recognition that this is something they see that can continue its full first year and hopefully that this can lead to a year two. So I see all good things here, but then I've been called optimistic. So however you want to take my thoughts on that, wherever you want to go ahead and, you know, put your weight or place your bets. I'm curious to see what we'll be saying come the end of this season or even next season as the uh, the viewing numbers and the decisions by the, the big boys let us know exactly what the fate will be for Batwoman and whether or not it will be the show we can depend on to fill that sort of darker place that Arrow did such a great job of creating for that CWDC television universe. That's going to bring a close to all of our TV streaming movie news. We're going to take a quick ad break and then shift gears into a healthy selection of great comic stories we've been preparing just for you. Stay tuned. Enjoy the info sesh, as I think the young kids still call it. No, they really don't. That was just an example of how old I am. And after we're done with that ad break, we'll be coming back to you with the comics. Stay tuned. This is Seth Singleton from DC Comics News, here to tell you about the Spinner Rack. Each and every week, DC Comics publishes so many great books, it can be hard to decide where to invest your time and money. And that's where the Spinner Rack comes in. The Spinner Rack is my honest attempt to rate, review, score the top five books from DC Comics each and every week. How can you listen? It's easy. All you have to do is go to your favorite platform, subscribe to DC Comics News Podcasts, and wait for the new episode to load up. Join me each and every week as I sift through the best from DC Comics and pick my top five books. Can't wait to share them with you and to hear your scores when you share them with us, right here on the DC Comics News Podcast. 
Hey there, everybody. This is Josh Rayner, Editor-in-Chief of DC Comics News. Are you planning on heading to Wizard World Comic Con sometime this year? Well, we have a great deal for you. If you are planning to do so, you can get 10% off your ticket purchase by using the code DCNEWS at checkout. That's DC. N-E-W-S at checkout to save 10% off your tickets for Wizard World. And that's for any city that, uh, that they will be doing. So make sure you head over to www.wizardworld.com tickets and use the code DCNEWS for 10% off. First, there was the DC Comics News Podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I am the Knight. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones. I am the Knight. Okay, we're back like that. Ads are over. Comic news, fresh headlines, and Brad Kelly and this bumbling guy you're listening to right now doing our best to interpret, make sense, respond. Leading things off, Swamp Thing Giant 2 welcomes Russell, Hester, Mandrake, and more to the bayou. Now, what does that all mean? Well, it means that we've got a little bit of a collaboration, starting off with writer Mark Russo and artist Marco Santucci, and this great collaboration, otherwise known as Swamp Thing Giant 2. Brad, what was your take on this announcement and uh, the two new stories that will be coming out in this uh, November 27th book? Well, I I like the idea of... Uh one of the explanations of the stories says it's to save a kidnapped boy swamp thing must break into a mysterious abandoned circus yard i want to see what happens when swamp thing has to break into an abandoned circus yard that's all i'm saying so that that makes me kind of curious and excited i think i'll i'll definitely be picking this up because now that that these giant niches are making their way to comic shops i have been uh picking them up and working my way through them and i'm really liking them so i'm glad that it's something that's going to keep continuing too but uh yeah but that swamp thing swamp thing story looks like a lot of fun for sure kelly what do you think i yeah actually going off of the uh that circus yard bit i can't think of anywhere i could picture swamp thing less i i just feel like an abandoned circus yard is the least naturey thing in existence something about circuses are so human and also kind of strange i'm not a big circus person but also it reminded me a lot of the killing joke that who like who's kidnapping kids and taking them to a circus yard because that sounds you know that sounds a little bit like commissioner gordon's very unfortunate series of events which is another show but um yeah it's i i love swamp thing obviously i mean i don't think if this is a giant issue i really you know, as far as that being a purse book, I don't know about that. But, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to read it. Seth? Uh, whether or not Swamp Thing Giant 2 can actually be a purse book. Does it have purse book potential? I like that sort of measurement 
we'll have to see how it holds up. I'm intrigued. I do love what you both mentioned about the idea of Swamp Thing heading to an abandoned circus. And yes, Kelly, while you were talking, I was picturing to myself, yeah, now I'm getting creepy flashbacks, not only from the book, but later the animated telling of the killing joke where you've got this sort of seedy looking circus environment and how if it was overgrown by some swampy stuff and kind of had that decaying look to it, seems like a perfect environment for Swamp Thing to invade and hopefully save this poor kidnapped child. And and yet what a really interesting contrast of such a embodiment of nature in such a completely uh, replicated human environment. So, yes, creepy, weird. Um, and then the announcement that uh, that there's also going to be reprints of Swan Thing number two is a walk among the tombstone and Hellblazers, the Poison Trust part two, along with uh, Zatanna number two's uh, Fusili's Nightmare. I think that it's great that you've got these two new stories. Then you've also got these reprints included. Brad, I have seen these also at the local comic shop, and it's something that I'm glad about because when they were just at Walmart, the nearest Walmart to me closed. The nearest one from that uh, didn't always carry. In fact, it rarely carried them. I'm not sure what their ordering sort of thing was, but it just weirdly for all its desire to make itself accessible was completely inaccessible to me. And after a while, it's like, ah, how am I even going to get my hands on this stuff? without, you know, relying on one of you guys to ship me something and, and go through that process. So I'm intrigued to see that they're they're making more strides to be a presence in the comic shops, and hopefully this means others will be picking them up. And clearly, the Swamp Thing Giant 2 is going to make a great start with this uh, abandoned circus story. And between that and the replants, hopefully it's it's got enough to uh, really bring readers in and make sure that these giants are still showing up in the, uh, the local comic shops, not just Walmart, more than one place to get them, which is something I'm excited about. But just like I had to wait for those to actually reach the comic book shops, waiting is a process that comic book fans have come to understand and recognize because it comes in so many different forms. For example, recently Tom King explained that Batman, Batman Catwoman, which has been pushed back on DC's schedule, actually has to do with the fact that realizing what they have, he and Clay Mann didn't want to rush anything, but they wanted to recognize that when you're accomplishing something ambitious, you want to minimize the number of compromises. I felt that was a really interesting idea, one of many that were brought up in this article. Brad, what was your take on this announcement and Tom King's explanation, which uh, is something we don't always get on these pushback announcements. Yeah, it's always good to have an announcement about why something is pushed back. And boy, I, man, they're really talking this up. So, you know, they're saying that it's going to be a defining moment like Dark Knight, Dark, you know, Dark Knight Returns. So, man, I, I hope it's that good. I mean, that makes me really intrigued of what they have planned for this series. Um, and if that is the case, then it is certainly worth the wait for sure. Uh, and, you know, bottom line, it's good to have a reason why these things happen. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, I have to agree. The fact that we actually have a reason for this delay is very comforting, considering all of the delay nonsense that has been happening with DC titles lately. And 
also, I, I mean, I've been such a big fan of Tom King since um, the Mr. Miracle run that he did not too long ago. So the fact that there's, you know, there's all these different elements that they're looking at it from, you know, kind of a new perspective and seeing what they can do to make this story really fantastic is honestly great news. I'd rather if they can push it back because we're going to get, a, you know, at the end of it, a comic that's going to be you know, iconic or just one of those really, really fantastic stories that you kind of look back at and you're like, that was great. Everybody should read that. Then, you know, by all means, push it back. And, you know, Brad, like you said, at least there's a reason this time. Seth? One, I'm echoing what you both pointed out, which is the value of the reason and the explanation. One, that it's provided, which I think is extremely important, as we pointed out, just as much as not providing one can create such an issue as we've experienced in other stories we've talked about. The other thing that I'm really intrigued by is how there was a a purpose behind this in that originally there was an approach considered because of Clayman's schedule to do like, or to follow the procedure that was done in Heroes in Crisis, which is a series of guest artists. However, when scheduling lined up in a certain way and they realized with a little bit of patience they could actually have Clayman do the art for every issue, that creates a consistency that just can't be accomplished with guest artists. And that if you can take advantage of, can set a very specific tone in a book and be something that can provide an added element that might allow you to do more than you could have with a, a series of guest artists. And I think recognizing that if you want to make this sort of statement of a seminal work like Dark Knight Returns, then considering those things and understanding the value they can add is really smart. And then explaining it to people so that they can not only, one, know what's happening, but to have an understanding of why, hopefully provide that additional appreciation and recognition that these are artists who are working at something that they know can benefit from just the slightest understandings, adjustments, and changes. And that because of that recognition, we as the fans, we as the readers who are looking for that great experience are are only going to benefit from it. So overall, this is one of the best delay stories I've heard in a long time. And if there's going to be more delays, um, DC, Comic book writers, artists, collaborative teams, marketers, everybody, take note. This is a great example of how you do it. And no offense, but I plan on measuring you guys against this response. So if you're not doing this, expect to hear or expect to experience just a little shade. Whether it's just for me or the entire uh, podcast gang, I can't guarantee. But I do know that now that we've seen a standard like this, I know what my expectations are going to be set against. And this is a great way to sort of show how you do things right and how you recognize the value of providing that information to the people who are looking to your great material and want to be a part of it. And all you have to do is let them know what's going on. So on that note, climbing down from the soapbox, moving on to more information that's been revealed about Batman Giant number two, everything from Duke Thomas to Poison Ivy. Brad, what was your take on this story? Uh, Once again, the idea, I like this idea, they explain one of the stories that Batman goes to to, uh, Brazil to investigate a series of 
high-profile murders with connections to poison ivy. And what a cool location for poison ivy, kind of in the jungles of Brazil. Uh, I think Batman's going to have a hell of a fight on his hands. Uh, and it would be kind of cool to see Batman out of Gotham City in a place like Brazil. I think that's that's going to be a fun story. Uh, and yeah, uh, and I'll echo what I said before, and that I'm glad these are you know going to be available in comic shops and not just Walmart. Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, I have to agree. This is a really great setting for Poison Ivy. Um, one, which I, I hadn't even thought of, the fact that she's going to be an incredibly formidable villain when she's surrounded by you know the the actual forests of brazil and the the plant life that's there um and it also it makes a lot of sense that she would be connected to you know kind of big corporation disappearances and murders there because if there's anywhere that you know i think poison ivy's kind of mission to save the the natural world would really connect it's you know in places where deforestation and that sort of thing is really prevalent so i'm i'm excited to read this i think this will be a really really cool story and also you know the fact that duke thomas is gonna i I think it's an eight page story that he'll be in is all good news so hopefully i mean hopefully this is one of the ones that comes out on time but if not because it's going to be better then also good uh seth what do you think I really enjoy what you both brought up about the idea of poison ivy in this great setting of Brazil. One, surrounded by the jungle, such a great place for her to really let loose with her powers. And two, I really think that the idea of the location of Brazil is so timely. One, the deforestation, Kelly, that you brought up, but also its recent appearance in the news because it's been part of this international conversation some calling it the lungs of the world and desiring to get involved to do something and yet a leader of the country where that jungle resides saying we don't want others coming in and dictating how we handle our jungle and this is an internal issue but one that still affects the planet and how that can create a lot of contentions within itself and then to have an avatar, someone like Poison Ivy, who fights for the natural world, caught in the middle of that. And then, of course, the cloud of speculation, the cloud of uh, suspicion placed on top of her when these major corporate figures who would probably, no doubt, uh, because of their roles as captains of industry, be someone who would likely be a target for her bringing in Batman to this equation where he not only has to navigate all these factors, but sort of part the leaves and see what's really going on instead of just assuming as it appears everyone else has that of course it has to be poison Ivy. And of course she's the only one who could be responsible. Curious to see what the deeper mystery will be. And I'm also impressed at the recognition that this is a great opportunity to tell more than one story in a location that has been in the news and also has its own set of stories that are already going on. So I think this could be a really great experience and a great opportunity if it's seized and really taken full advantage of for all the directions and all the things that it it can do with this opportunity. Um, So I'm really looking forward to it and I'm curious to see what comes out of it. When it comes to the Duke Thomas story, 
I think the more character development we get for the signal, the better it's going to be for his relationship to Batman and as part of the Batman family. And I think a personal story, like the effects of a childhood friend who's been stabbed by a, a member of a gang, is a really great way to establish another element of his character and deepen our understanding of what makes him such a valuable member of the, uh, again, the Batman family. Moving into yet another headline coming at you from comics because, well, it's just that much fun when we have so many great headlines to offer up. We've got the announcement of DC First Look, You Brought Me the Ocean, a young adult graphic novel specifically uh, sort of geared as a LGBTQ title. There's a lot of great ideas being expressed in this. And while you could hear me pontificate at length, let's start off with Brad and Kelly. And hopefully I find a way to shorten up my thinking and yet at the same time summarize all their great thoughts into something hopefully coherent. Brad, what's your take on this story, my friend? Uh, I think it's really cool what dc is doing with these young adult books uh it's using these classic characters that a lot of people know in this young adult even graphic novel genre that might bring more people into reading these stories and experiencing these characters and it's cool that they're being so inclusive so i think this will be uh and the art looks fantastic i think this is going to be a very interesting story um yeah i mean i i think that DC characters are perfect for these kind of explorations and it's kind to it's kind of nice to see these writers and artists being able to kind of let loose and tell these types of uh, these types of stories. Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, I have to agree. I um I think it's a really really good step for DC, especially with these young adult books. Um, to try to tell stories that are really inclusive and that are very, um, you know, try to embody a little bit of anyone that might be reading them. And especially, um, I think it said that this is going to be, you know, him in his senior year of high school, sort of as, you know, which I think anyone who remembers their senior year of high school, it's both the best and the worst because you don't know what's going on. And at the same time, it's there's no responsibility, but all of the pressure in the world. Um, so I think, and actually kind of circling back to a couple weeks ago, we talked about this idea of isolation um, and how it related to the Joker movie. But the fact that someone feeling isolated and feeling like they're kind of alone in whatever they're dealing with might make them lash out in ways that, you know, they wouldn't have otherwise. So I think it's good that DC is taking steps to kind of make sure that everybody has you know, has a superhero that they can read, has somebody that they can look at and say, hey, look at that. I'm not alone. I'm not isolated. So, I, you know, I think this is a really, really fantastic book and it looks like it'll look amazing. Uh, Seth, what do you think? I really think that you guys brought up some very valuable points. Uh, just to immediately follow up on it. Yes, Kelly, about that idea of isolation and how you can prevent that in so many ways with great characters who tell stories that allow readers to see themselves in those stories and have great heroic models to look to, to read about, to be inspired by, and maybe even, um, well, learn from or maybe even just process and interpret things they might have experienced through the story of somebody else. 
and in doing so gain something new just through that experience but also taking that story and using a character like Aqualad. Um, I really enjoyed what I saw recently in Young Justice with the development of the character of Calder. And if either of you had a chance to see that, there was a recent development for him that was only hinted at just with a couple of you know quick scenes. But the idea of a, a new relationship that had not been suggested previously, and yet when it was shown in that series, seemed so natural, so comfortable I think is probably the best word and I really enjoyed that that fresh take and now seeing it in a comic book form with the character of Aqualad and then with this great setting which uh, Kelly I really thought you brought up was important senior year whether it's the best or the worst time depending on the day of the week of your senior year it's it's just this huge mix of challenges where you're at the top of your class as a high school student, and yet you're barely starting out as an adult, as you're classified in the world, and making or preparing to make your way once that time in high school ends and whatever your decisions for your adult future might be, and how many pressures, challenges, and risks are involved. So many things that people are saying, the next step you take could shape the rest of your life. And yet here's Aqualad, you know, this young man, Jake, who already is trying to understand things about his identity and also feels like there's a lot at risk, not only about who he is as a person and these markings that he has, but the fact that he's attracted to, of course, the swim team captain. It can't just be a member of the swim team. It's got to be the captain. It's like going for the head cheerleader. It's like, nope, you got to go for the one that everybody else looks to. And that implies even more pressure because man, there's nothing worse than trying to tell somebody that, you know, you have an attraction to them and the risk that could come if they don't like you back, no matter who they are or who you are. It's just a, a challenge on top of everything else that there is to face and what it means to be in this place in your life where so much about who you're going to be is something you're still in the process of discovering. And great material to dive into and tell so many of these great story elements. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing just how far they can go and, and just how well they can do this. And I think it's a title that we're going to be talking about once it comes out. And I'm hoping that it lives up to the expectations that, for me, it's, it's already creating with this description. Um, so looking forward to following up on that story and looking forward to so much more that's on the horizon. I have to be honest, I was surprised when I saw that He-Man is back and he's not alone. We've got He-Man and the Masters of the Multiverse. How many He-Mans are there? I think we'll just have to see. In the meantime, let's see what Brad has to say about this recent announcement. What's your take, my friend? I wish I knew what the tone of this comic is going to be because it could be played as kind of a satire and be kind of funny because it's kind of like a little bit of combo of the CW's crisis that's coming up and like Dark Knight's Metal because they're talking about anti-attorney and things like that. So I don't know if they're kind of playing it as a funny type of story, but no matter what, there are a lot of uh, different generations and different interpretations of He-Man that would be cool to use. 
Like I, I remember the action figures used to come with these little mini comics and the story in those first round of mini comics were a lot darker than the TV show that all the kids loved. And it would be really cool if that He-Man would kind of make an appearance. So, um, I just, yeah, I just wish I kind of knew what the tone was going to be. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, I think I'm mostly just confused um, cause it's, I, the initial look is this Easter bunny He-Man, but then as you kind of look through the rest of the preview, it seems like that classic, like eighties, uh, eighties into nineties over muscular style. And honestly, I don't have a very strong background with He-Man. It kind of, I think right around the time I was maybe two or three is around the time that he was kind of, I would say disappearing off of TV. And I, you know, most of my actual, understanding of he-man is that youtube video where they have clips of him singing that that one song (laughs) and i and genuinely if there's gonna be a multiverse of he-man i really want to see that one show up so all else aside if if i can see singing excited uh you know rainbow gif he-man show up then you know i'll i'll read it easter bunny or no easter bunny (laughs) Well, now I simply must have singing He-Man. And if you haven't yet, please find the YouTube video we're talking about. Really, all you're going to have to type in is singing He-Man. And if you're not there, well, that's probably because there's been so many other videos made in reference or homage to it. But find it, laugh, and then with us, hope and pray that we can see singing He-Man in this upcoming story. Brad, I agree with you, man. I wish I knew how serious I was supposed to take this because on one side, there's this really dark concept, which seems to echo those mini comics you're talking about. The idea of Prince Keldor, the man who would be Skeletor, who eventually at some point, you know, through whatever process takes on the role of Skeletor and, you know, becomes his own worst enemy for whatever valiant, noble reasons. But then this sort of weird, almost parody tone, anti-Eternia, uh, the anti-He-Man. <sighs> okay, so is it serious or is it not? Do I take it seriously? Do I have a good laugh? Is it a dark multiverse kind of a spin? Is it a CW sort of echo? Man, I- I'm going to have to wait and see. Easter Bunny, He-Man makes me smile. Kelly, it did sort of sink in for me that, yes, I am old because when he was going off the air that was around the time that i was like oh that's another show that i'm not going to have to worry about not seeing because as we've mentioned in the past christian household was not allowed to watch uh, (laughs) he-man smurfs anything that had to do with like magic and sorcery you know smurfs really Oh, yeah. Gargamel? Smurfs? Come on. Cauldron with the cat and the black and the witchcraft? Like, Jeez. oh, of course not. Yeah. yeah. No, 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 no. Plus, oh. you know, Christian, <laughs> people, Christian people were not really big fans of, like, anybody else being called Master of the Universe. They they kind of, you know. Mm, that's true. They get, they get a bit chagrined <laughs> at that. So with that, that sort of, you know, viewpoint in mind. It was just something that I knew of because it was always on and that meant I had to change the channel if mom and dad were home and I just flipped past it, whatever. But that there's a lot of potential here to go either dark or comedic parody 
or if it's possible to maybe split the difference to find a balance that could be a compelling story. I'm going to be with you guys on the confusion until this comes out. Now, uh, I know I'm putting you both on the spot here. Will you buy and read this book just to get the satisfaction of knowing what's going on? Or is this something that you're just waiting to hear what others say about it? And that'll be sort of the basis for how you end up taking it. Like, will you actually buy this book and go, yeah, I'm going to read it because I got to know. Or is it a part of it's like, well, maybe I'll take a look or I'll just see what others are saying. Yeah, I think I'll read it. I'll get it. Just again for the chance of seeing even even just the slightest like even if he's on a TV screen or you know if, if it's super mid like just I just want to see singing He Man. <laughs> <laughs> Brad, how about you? Yeah, I, I mean, I guess to be honest, it would have to depend on what else came out that week. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, if if it was a light week, yes. I mean, I'm definitely curious, and in theory, I would pick it up because I do want to see, you know, what the tone is. Um, but it's kind of one of those things that I don't know if I would move on to issue two, even if I did pick up issue one. So I'm still kind of on the fence. Gotcha. Yeah. I, without having some sort of other draw right now, it's something I would probably take a look at in the shop, glance through. And unless I saw either a singing He-Man or B singing He-Man and, sort of uh, Easter Bunny He-Man doing some sort of thing where I'm like, oh, I have to have that. I just have to. I'm not sure if it's something that's going to be coming home with me. But again, if I can get that hint, as Kelly suggested, just that possibility through a, a glance through the pages, well, DC, you might, might get me to take home the first issue. Now, whether or not I get the second is, you know, really up to you guys on how well you do with that first one. So check back. We'll have more to talk about. I I have a feeling on this. Just a feeling. We still have more comics to talk about. And one of the stories to follow up on our He-Man story is the announcement of American Vampire 2020 return on an all-out monster fight finale. That last part was in quotes. I don't know if you could tell. But we've got the collaboration of Scott Snyder and Raphael Albuquerque. Um, Brett, what was your initial take on this one more volume on the, uh, yeah, Yeah, I'm glad they're coming back around. Uh, I think in uh, that for a lot of people, their introduction to Scott Snyder was American vampire. Um, so it's going to be kind of cool to see him come back to these characters with even more and more years of experience of writing and things like that. And I, I like the idea that it's going to take place from 1976 to the present day. I think uh, that'll be cool. Maybe even seeing the vampires and kind of the Joker seventies grimy New York city kind of, you know, kind of environment. I think that might be uh, kind of cool. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? I never had the opportunity to read American Vampires, so I think, and I've I've always heard such good things about it, I think that this will actually push me to go back and read it, um, but I'm still, it, obviously still very upset about the, the ending of Vertigo as a label, but I'm, now I'm confused because even though DC was getting rid of their imprints, we still have black labels, so I'm, I think... 
Like, do either of you have, you know, some kind of light on what exactly is happening with these imprints? Is it just black label and then the the young stuff and then the normal label? Is it all one thing? Like, what is going on? Yeah, I think that anything that would have normally come out on Vertigo is now going to be black label. Hmm. So, you know, all those adult oriented books are all going to be black label now and not not vertigo this will be i think the first one that's not necessarily like a dc superhero book that and those joe hill horror books that are coming out so yeah it'll be interesting i miss vertigo too though yeah yeah for sure yeah and just to follow up on that brad i was intrigued by something in the article which is a, a one of the quotes from snyder and he makes a mention of this idea about the semantics and he says in the way that people that I liked working with at Vertigo, like Mark Doyle, are A, still there and are actually running bigger segments of DC right now. So I feel like there's this sort of uh, process where, yes, the Vertigo label was closed, but in that there was also this recognition that adult stories have an opportunity to fall either into the black label or another designation and not just be Vertigo. But also, I kind of feel like there was something they wanted to accomplish with Vertigo that they did, and now they want to close that chapter and try and do all the things that worked great about Vertigo, but make them part of the bigger DC family and only differentiate them through something like Black Label. That's kind of what it feels like, that there's this, you know, there's this point at which you can only keep calling certain things uh, under a certain branch and then at some point they're going to expand beyond that and you either have to change what that categorization is or you have to close down that idea and then sort of look at how you're talking about everything because it feels like in in some ways so much of of what was relegated to vertigo is now being absorbed into the larger dc hey why you got to be all the way over there come on in we got big arms we're just going to stretch and you know what I mean? Pull all this in. And just to help people organize things, we'll use this black label as sort of our recognition of things that, that might have been vertigo. And, you know, for whatever reason, we're not labeling them as such. But in many ways, they're going to embody, I hope, those best principles. I really would be honest and say that I don't think they've figured it out yet, but that <laughs> we're learning with them, you know, how this is all going to eventually shake out. And then maybe in a year or so, we can look back and go, oh, OK. So, yeah, some of those didn't really fit. No, they didn't really fit. <laughs> and and that will help sort of classify what what this new sort of breakdown is, because I think they had an idea with the change. And I still feel like they haven't really explained it out loud enough where they can tell it to us without sounding like they're just not really sure <laughs> and there's nothing worse than saying to somebody we've got this idea it's kind of like well it's sort of like have you ever seen okay maybe and then, you know we're all just like wow you stop you you just stop you you stop you go write some stuff down you have a couple talk you know and come back to us because you know there's nothing worse than someone trying so hard that you're like okay now it hurts to listen to you try Someone get them a whiteboard, like just just write it down. <laughs> they have to have a conference room at D.C. Just figure it out. <laughs> yeah, actually, you know what? On that note, can we just have Jim Lee with a whiteboard start drawing stuff and talking? And while he does, we'll all go. Oh. 
cool picture. <laughs> and I think he explained something. Because, <laughs> you know, I mean, how can you go wrong with a Jim Lee drawing session? It just seems to be like, you know, something everyone can agree on. Maybe that's just me. Um, <laughs> um, now, of course, this is, you know, something that's interesting to point out because this sort of confusion that's going on around Black Label and Vertigo closing and, and what's happening next is actually a really great way to segue into this announcement that Jorge Jimenez is going to be exiting Justice League with Scott Snyder because something bigger is coming. Now, I don't know how to paint a bigger mystery than something bigger in quotes is coming, but that's a pretty good job of it so far. Brad, what was your take on this announcement that after number 39, uh, Mr. Jimenez and Snyder will be departing uh, Justice League. I just really wonder what this something bigger is. Uh, I kind of can't wait to find out. Um, you know, I'm guessing it might be obviously some kind of big event book. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully we'll get some news about this sooner or later. I'm I'm really curious. Uh, and I'm kind of glad they're keeping the band together. And you know, so so that they can keep working. And I'm guessing that because they are keeping, you know, th you know, they're leaving together that maybe it will have some, obviously some kind of Justice League tie in, whatever this something bigger is. So, yeah, I'm kind of definitely curious. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? Well, for starters, I'm starting to get a little suspicious because why is everyone saying things are just going to be bigger and then giving no more information? I mean, I trust Jason Momoa, but this is a, this is a lot of bigger I'm hearing, and I, I don't know I don't know if I believe it. But in any case, I mean, it's good that they're staying together. I don't know what could possibly be bigger in in DC than the Justice League. Um, but also, do do we know who is who's coming in to replace them? Like what is happening to the justice league? That's kind of my, I guess my, my biggest concern is what, what's the next part of the plan? What is the bigger? And then what is left for apparently the justice league as the smaller now? Uh, Seth, what do you think? Well, I'm going to be completely forthright in saying Kelly, I, I don't know. And if I do know, I read it somewhere, forgot it, and have no ability to recall for you in any way anything to say, well, this is who's going to step in and fill the space when Jorge Jimenez and Scott Snyder. I don't have that. And now, knowing that I don't have that, I'm now <laughs> faced with the same question you just presented and the knowledge I don't have an answer, which is... An interesting position to be in because one, as you pointed out, I don't know what could be bigger than what's going on in Justice League. If you're reading the Justice League title right now, it's like every atom of the universe, multiverse, all of consciousness as we know it is being affected every week and put at risk and about to be maybe flipped on its head and everything completely just undone that I find myself going, come on guys, you're pushing, you're pushing at some point, what's going to break and what they could be building up to is phenomenal, but also the recognition that whatever that might be could be strong enough that Snyder and Jimenez could leave either a with a plan already in place that others can follow or be with a recognition that that they're going off to do this bigger thing because yeah I almost I almost wonder what what's happening here as you pointed out Kelly it's like they're like so we have an announcement gee I want it bigger well what's the bigger 
and bigger. And you're like, okay, so I, I get it. It's going to be bigger. But what, you know, how far can you push that? How much bigger can you get? But I am also encouraged and intrigued, as Brad pointed out, that A, keeping the band together, and B, this feels like one of those moments that we've seen with other collaborative teams. Maybe we could point to the uh, Tom King and Clay Mann collaboration as another example, where you've got these collaborators who are clearly aware of what they're accomplishing in the moment. But somewhere along the way, they touch on that idea where they're like, hey, you know what we could do? I think we could do that. And as they start working out and fleshing out that idea, it becomes something where they, once they've got it developed to a certain point, they can turn around to the big leagues and say, so we've got this thing. And in order to do it, we got to leave this thing we're working on and we'll set it up. And this is why. And usually when you make that kind of, you know, pitch and it's got, well, Batwoman quality legs to stand on, then there's some great potential here, some great possibility. What the bigger might be, I'm not sure, because, yeah, between Aquaman 2 and everybody else, it feels like all we're doing is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And now that we've got a He-Man multiverse and all sorts of stuff going on, I'm not sure how much bigger we can go. But I am impressed with what they've done so far, and that gives me this certain degree of trust. Like, okay, you have a plan. You're going to go somewhere. I can't do anything about that. But there's a part of me that... I think can trust not only a you're going to leave the team who's following in your footsteps uh, a roadmap for them to use or consider unless they have something else different they want to do. And then also you've already shown me great things so far. So that that gives me a certain amount of trust that whatever you're about to go on to work on together, that's bigger. It 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 can only either a meet the expectations of what you've already done or b exceed them. That's something I can always look forward to. And I think that's going to be the last sort of impression I'm going to have about this is, okay, I've trusted you enough coming back issue after issue. I'm going to extend that trust to whatever you're going to work on next and trust that whoever's coming in your footsteps, we're not going to feel the big difference because you guys set it up that way, that it should feel seamless. It should feel smooth. We should notice it, but it shouldn't feel like it it takes anything away from what you're doing on Justice League. And whatever this new bigger project is going to be. So that's my take on our final story of the comic book segment of our broadcast. Any final thoughts for uh, Brad Kelly on either this or anything else we've mentioned in today's discussion before we go ahead and start wrapping the bow? Our next episode's going to be bigger. I mean, let's (laughs) call it that then. (laughs) (laughs) Boom. Like that, mic drop, Kelly. That was <laughs> that was brilliant. If this was a podcast where we score, I've got like ten expletives. I was ready to just go ahead and drop right now. But that that was that was perfect. It is going to be bigger. She just claimed it, and we're supporting it. All right, come back next week. We're going to be bigger. All right. Um, so that's the end of every episode. <laughs> come back next week. It's going to be bigger. All right. Well, with that in mind. Uh, We're going to go ahead and uh, wrap things up with a couple of the things we promised we would provide. One, for example, you can find us just about everywhere. Who's us? Well, I'm talking about DC Comics News and this podcast, which is available now on platforms including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. 
If there's more, let us know. We'll include them on our list should you find us other wares out there in the ether. And if you haven't already, please head over, subscribe to the podcast, and rate and review. Not only will you get a chance to hear new episodes right here from the DC Comics News podcast team, you can catch me on the Spinner Rack on a weekly basis and our newest podcast edition, the I Am the Night series by Steve J. Ray, an episode-by-episode breakdown of Batman the Animated Series. Now, if you have a comment about Spinner Rack, I Am the Night, or anything we've talked about on this or any other episode of the DC Comics News podcast, you can let us know, and you can do it publicly on social media, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, or YouTube. All you have to do is use that cool at symbol, you know, the A with that kind of circle thing around it, with DC Comics News, capital D, capital C, capital C, O-M-I-C-S, capital N-E-W-S. Leave us your comment, add that tag. It lets us know that you're trying to get our attention and what you're talking about and that you're talking to us. And should you have found anything that you want to follow up on from these amazing contributors I'm lucky enough to hang out with, I'm going to let Brad and Kelly let you know where they can be found. Brad, start off with you. Where can the people find you when they're looking? You can find me on Twitter, FlickyB1. Uh, you can uh, see me writing reviews and news on DCComicsNews.com. So that's where I'm at. Kelly? Um, you can find me on Twitter at KelGainsWright, and you can find me on DC Comics News doing editorial pieces. Seth? As for me, I'm Seth Singleton. Just type the word Seth, the word Singleton, and, oh, I don't know, try story or comics or, you know, just see what pops up. I'm out there. Find me on a website, on a Facebook, on something else, but... Pretty much, if you see my name and there's some comics or other story-related material involved, that's me. All right, I'm not trying to be that secretive. Go on Twitter, one more singleton. And other than that, plenty of ways to say hello. Pick your favorite platform. Let me know you're out there. And uh, if anything else, just use that at DC Comics News and say my name because I'm always looking to see what people are saying. And if you use that, I'll find you. Then you don't even got to search for me. With that in mind... We bring this episode, episode number 44 of the DC Comics News podcast, to a close. And really, there's only one thing left to say, and that is to always read more comics. It's that simple. And just like that, we're going to see you next time. Thanks for joining us this time. See you soon.